Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about how to make supplemental income and some sweet, sweet side money. So first up, let's just take a look at what is the point of doing side hustles or supplemental income. You really got to take a close look at what are the actual benefits that you're getting and then also what are the drawbacks that are going to come with doing that. Especially in this industry where in television everything is seasonal and you may not be employed year round, I think it's critical to think about what else you can be doing to make ends meet at the end of the day. Absolutely. I mean, whether you're still at that level where you're new to LA and you're trying to find your feet and and be stabilized here so that you can work your way towards getting a job, or even honestly, once you've been staffed before, there's no guarantee that that income is going to keep coming in. You might not get on the next show, there might be a hiatus for several months. You really have to find a way to kind of secure your finances. Oh, absolutely. And even when you're staffed, I mean, the pay isn't as much as I think a lot of people assume it is. Exactly. If you look at the actual kind of like salaries and and fees that you're going to be getting as a staff writer, you basically get a salary for 12 to 20 weeks, a weekly salary, and you don't get paid for writing a script on top of that, even though you might get a script. Once you move up in the levels a little bit, you'll get a script fee and you'll get your salary. But when you're a staff level writer, it's all kind of inclusive. And it basically works out to be, by the time it comes down to it, especially if you're in a writing team or if you have an agent and a manager and they're taking stuff out of that, you're not actually making a whole lot more than you were when you were working an assistant job. So looking at the WGA minimums here, your salary as a staff writer is going to be equivalent to roughly one script fee, even though it's a weekly salary. So for a half hour episode, you're going to get paid around eighteen to 19000 And as on a drama, it might be closer to twenty five. And so then once you divide that by the 12 to 20 weeks, you're working on it as well as any time on either side of that, you're not going to be working because you have to find a new job and everything. It really does equal right out, especially if you have to split that in half with a partner. Yeah, it's like the the splitting and have the 10% over over time. And also, this would be maybe a one one season gig. This could be the only gig you would be getting the entire year potentially. So exactly. even if it's twenty thousand, even if it were thirty thousand, that you're going to keep in mind it's going to be minus 10%, maybe even split in half and minus obviously tax. So that plays as well. Now, these are, I believe, the 2014 minimums. So since we are in our renegotiation year, maybe when uh, when this podcast comes out, it, it may be slightly higher or we may be in a strike. Who knows? Who knows? But, but you uh, know, let's say you get 20K for a contract of 20 weeks. That's $1,000 a week. And then you take 20% of that for agent and manager. That's $800 a week. Then you take tax and healthcare. You are literally earning the same amount as an assistant. So don't expect that all your money was going to be solved as soon as you get stuffed. Absolutely. I think this is why having uh, an idea of what you may be doing between shows is, is critical to survive in this town because living in LA is not cheap. Let, let's talk a little bit about dividing up your time versus your money and, and the importance of weighing something like a side job that may be worth it to you as a writer versus a side job that may be worth it to you just on the money financial basis. Mm-hmm. I kind of see that you can go one of two directions with your side hustles, and that's either you get something that is related to writing or to the industry. So for example, you might be script reading or, or things like that. We'll mention them in more detail later. Or you might just get a job as a barista at Starbucks or working a bar at night and that kind of thing. I think there are, there are certain pros and cons to both of those things. You were mentioning earlier today that you thought picking up something that is in the industry can be worthwhile because you may be applying skills similar to jobs you may want down the line. 
yeah, you're going to be learning. If you're working as a script reader, you're going to be actually learning how to write better. And you're going to be learning what makes a good script and what doesn't. You're also probably going to be meeting people who are in the industry and networking that way. So that can all certainly help. But there's also something to be said for maybe taking a job that maybe gives you a break from those kind of creative muscles and, and just allows a different perspective on things, right, Alex? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're going to be giving notes on top of notes on top of notes, you may be creatively drained in a way where you would want to take a break from your own writing, which is not a good thing in my mind. I think we both agree that you should focus on your writing. Like it should be something that's in addition to your writing or whatever you want to do instead of instead of that thing basically yeah, you yeah. need to keep in mind why are you here and what are you working towards if your number one priority is to make it as a writer then you need to be adding up all these little things in your life that are going to help you towards that not kind of hold you back or take you further away from that so if you find that you've got so many responsibilities and so many things going on you're, you're working three jobs and you're not actually finding time to write anymore, then it might be an opportunity to take a step back and go, okay, I need to reevaluate. I mean, on the flip side, I definitely know a few people who thrive in that environment, who thrive in the idea of I need to be constantly working, I need to be constantly occupied, which is fine, but you need to also find the outlet to your creativity and figure out ways of bringing what you're doing outside of it on the page. There's definitely the opportunity, even if you're working on jobs that are not industry-related, to still find things that are related to your craft, whether it's overhearing conversation or meeting new people or getting ideas on those jobs. Absolutely. If you're working in a coffee shop, you could have a lot of inspiration for characters and dialogue from just kind of like listening to the world around you. That's um, not creepy at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the thing. We steal from everywhere. You got to be ready to find inspiration where you don't expect it. <laughs> Including uh, as, a, as an Uber driver. Yeah, again, that's another great way that you can meet a whole bunch of different interesting characters and, and stories and encounter things that might spark your imagination. So as, as great as it is to be working in a related field and picking up related skills when you're side hustling, sometimes it can be nice just to have a bit of a break from that and be able to switch your, your mind off and just make enough money to, to help get you by. And then you can come home and be like, yes, I'm excited to write. I'm excited to pour out all these creative energies I've been building up all day. I think it's hard to gauge what you'll be getting out of those non-industry jobs on the creative level. And, and, and sometimes things may surprise you. For example, I was watching this conference thing on like digital marketing, something that has very little to do with TV writing. But there was this speaker that was discussing his life and speaking about his experiences. And long story short, this was a person that I started looking into and his story was fascinating to me. And that ended up being the impetus for one of the scripts that I'm writing currently. So I think even in a field that has very little to do with the craft and the writing and the, the Hollywood industry, you can still find ways of connecting it back to your own writing. And even if you don't realize at first that maybe you're learning certain skills that could be applied to it, like let's say you're working as a door-to-door -door salesman or something, that's going to teach you how to pitch. That's going to teach you how to present something in an interesting way that's going to appeal to people and you know how to communicate and to, to sell your ideas. So you never really know what might come in useful down the line. Absolutely. And managing money and all those entrepreneurial elements will be also important down the line if you're going to move up as a producer and as an EP and as a showrunner. Because again, being a showrunner is 50% being a CEO of a multi-million dollar company. So even on the small scale of being an entrepreneur and being a freelancer and knowing how to hustle on that level, I think is, is key to managing those skills. And as we keep saying with staffing, it's, it's so much more interesting to have people who have gotten out and lived and had different experiences. If you 
graduate high school, you go straight to college, then you come straight out of college and you're expecting to get in a writer's room, what life experience do you have to share? Whereas if you've been working at like a drug and alcohol recovery clinic, like in a a waiting room or something like that, and helping people with that, suddenly you have a whole new world of experience to, to bring to your writing and to bring to things like that. Whatever it happens to be, find ways to make that enrich you as a person. Alcoholic Anonymous, the new NBC show coming this fall. (laughs) It's a laugh riot. All right, now let's talk also about the flexibility of your schedule because you'll be potentially working one, two, three jobs, maybe some freelance work, maybe some side slash odd jobs. How do you usually balance that with your craft and your writing? I mean, it can be tricky if you have a nine to five day job or in this industry, it's more like uh, an eight to nine day job, eight (laughs) to ten day job then that's going to be so tricky when it comes to, say, getting out and taking general meetings and staffing interviews and things like that, if that's something that's happening for you. You need to maybe find side jobs and things like that that are going to allow you a little bit more flexibility and freedom. That's why every actor works as a barista in a bar and that kind of thing, because they can get out and actually go to auditions and then they can go and do this during the night or something. So you need to think about that. You know? Except Emma Stone Lala, because I think, didn't she get fired from the WB uh, coffee <laughs> shop <laughs> for going on audition? Maybe. I mean, uh, but yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And I think that's why so many people turn to more freelance work or those small, like the gig economy type jobs like Uber or Lyft. And that's because of this idea of flexibility. That's because you're going to be making your own hours. And some people write better at night. Some people write better during the day. But whatever works for you, I think you need to have a schedule and you need to be regular on both levels. I mean, it it's really sucks when you work 10 hours a day every day of the week and you come home and you're exhausted and you don't have the energy to do any more writing. And then your weekends, you're suddenly catching up on all your chores and stuff you haven't done. So there's absolutely something to be said for making sure that you have some flexibility and that, again, that you're looking at your priority as becoming a writer and not just having a stable job like what do you actually want to be doing with all of this take a look at the bigger picture you know absolutely and i think that's what is so hard about balancing you know supplemental income with the day job and so forth is this idea that i need money right now so should i be pursuing something that makes me financially secure potentially putting at risk the craft itself or should i find something more flexible that may not be providing so much money that I, i don't know what to do with it so the, the question is really more balancing like the hours and the time you're going to be putting in this job versus the creative outlets that you can still have despite those hours of work. And I mean, the flip side of that as well is that you shouldn't necessarily move to L.A. with $3,000 in your bank and just move here and then sit down and write in a Starbucks every day and wait until your money runs out, hoping that you're going to get a writing job in time. You really need to be considering the long-term stability of being here and of doing this because it can take and will take several years, you know, up to five years more. Sometimes. Absolutely. So. I mean, that, and that is with the caveat that we now live in an economy where it's so hard to get a stable job and so forth, and especially in this industry. So we've just run down many multiple reasons for why having a supplemental income or having an idea of what to do in between shows and between jobs is critical. So before we get into kind of the specific jobs you might be able to find to, to be a side hustle for you, just a quick kind of like legal or technical note is that a lot of these jobs will be classed as freelancing or freelance jobs. And And then you are classified as what they call a 1099, which is the form that you have to fill out as a freelancer instead of having a W-2, which is like an actual employed salaried job. The thing with the 1099 is that your taxes aren't withheld. So you're suddenly responsible for calculating how much you owe and then paying that back to the to the government at, at tax time. So you need to be taking that into account for your finances. And also there's a thing if you live in the city of Los Angeles, 
uh, you need to register as uh, a freelancer with their sort of business council or board or something like that so that they don't hit you with a fee for operating unlicensed or whatever. Which is, it's a very expensive fee. I think it's almost in the thousands, if I'm correct. Yeah, the fine itself is very expensive, whereas actually registering, I don't think costs that much at all. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's free before end of February, usually, mm -hmm. is the, the ballpark. And if it's after February, it's a nominal fee, but nowhere near the thousands of dollars of fine you'd be getting. Yeah, if you take one EA job and you kind of forget about it and whatever, and they're like, oh, by the way, here's a $5,000 fine because you didn't tell us that you're going to be working as a freelancer, then that suddenly ruins your whole day, sir. Well, your, your whole year, year yeah. yeah. Three months uh, of salary, potentially. And it gets even more complex when you look at online gigs and so forth. But by and large, you do need to register. If you live in L, you do need to register as an entity. All right, now let's talk about what kinds of jobs you may be doing, freelance gigs and other ways of getting supplemental income. And let's begin with jobs that are related to the LA TV industry. So especially for writers, there are a number of kind of jobs that are tangential to that. Some people will offer their notes and paid coverage to other writers, whether that is as an independent person who's saying, look, I have XYZ experience and I feel like I have something valuable to offer. Will you give me $50 and I'll read your script and give you detailed notes? Or it could actually be stepping in to help legitimate companies, production companies and agencies and whatever it happens to be who have an overflow of material they need to get read and they will sometimes hire out coverage writers for that purpose. And a lot of those are either through re referral. Also, you can you can do some script reading through Austin, uh, the film festival as a reader. I think that's another way of making money. Although the script reading fee is not substantial, is it? For Austin, I think it actually just goes towards a discount on your badge or getting a free badge. Oh, interesting. I'm not sure if they pay you directly. Whereas the Blacklist website, for example, they do pay a direct fee to their readers. So if you can get into that and show that you have the qualifications to do that, you can, you know, you can make money reading for them or even other screenplay competitions as well will pay direct fees for each script that you read. Do you know the pay for a Blacklist script? Is I, it like $30 a, a I script? I think it's somewhere around that. I think they recently bumped it up a little bit to try and pay their readers more. But typically, you are still going to be making minimum wage or possibly less, depending on how long it takes you to make a, to read a script. Right. So don't, never forget that if you got to read a feature script, it's going to take up a couple of hours of your life to write the notes. So once you actually factor that out, it might like, let's say you got $50 for a script, it might sound like a lot until you realize it's going to take you five hours to read and give all the notes, then that's $10 an hour. So. And the same goes with reads outside of those competitions. I've definitely gotten some freelance gigs uh, reading, giving feedback on books and so forth. And those will be more costly. I think I got paid a couple hundred dollars for a full book report, basically. But that was, again, keep in mind, that was a whole book that needed to be adapted into a TV project or whatever. And so that was hours of my time versus something like a script, which hopefully, especially if it's a half hour script, I would hope it's not going to take you like three or four hours to, uh, yeah, exactly. to give notes on. And the thing is as well that if you can prove that you have the credentials and that you are very good at it, then you can be making more money doing it. So you might get paid $100, $200 to do like a quick turnaround on a feature script and give notes to someone in time. It's, it all just depends. And the same can be can be said about consulting or, or courses or any outlets where you may be asking people to pay for your advice on whether how to write a script or notes or anything that is more practical. I think the important thing there is just showing that people have a good reason to pay that money. If you're just right. like, hey, I'm an aspiring writer and I, I did my undergrad degree in writing, there's a million <laughs> people like that. So you need to show why exactly you are someone who is worth giving that money to. It's maybe you have experience working in development at a network or a studio. Maybe yeah. you've been staffed before on something, whatever it happens to be. Basically the, the business version of pitching yourself as a writer, but on the industry end. 
Exactly. So on the flip side of that, in terms of if you have been working uh, or if you are currently working more generally at a production company or a studio or something like that, there are opportunities available to you on the other side of the table. So there are pitch sessions with companies like Stage 32, like Roadmap Riders, that will basically offer you the opportunity to go in on a weekend, sit down and have a bunch of riders pitch their ideas to you in like a 10 minute Skype session. And then you have the option to request their script and more material and request meetings with them afterwards if you like their stuff and you'll get paid for your time. And then you can use that to help find material for your company. And that's what, you know, the writers and what the company is hoping will happen is that you find someone great, you bring it in, you put them on your boss's desk, they get wrapped or they get their thing made. And at the same time, you know, you're actually being paid for the time you've taken out of your weekend to go in and, and listen to all these pitches. So that is an option to you if you are working in a company where you actually have the authority or the ability to do that. That's also a great way to hear what's out there and, and get a good sense of either the talent and or the quality of projects that are just circling. Yeah. In the same way that reading scripts is going to help you be a better writer, listening to pitches is going to help you be a better pitcher. <laughs> not in the not, for the, sense. not for the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can see what's going wrong, what's going right, and you can take that away for yourself as well. Great. One of the other ways you can make side money on the industry front is by freelancing as a production assistant. There are many outlets, whether online or in person, to find those jobs, but usually it'd be an hourly rate on either someone's project, whether it's a short film or a movie or a TV show, a pilot, whatever. And it can be over the weekends. It could be, I mean, the hours are very widely. So there's hard, it's hard to like pin down on, the, on, on that front. Yeah. So whether or not you're kind of going in and what they call day playing on an established show at a studio somewhere uh, for a 12 hour day that would you know pay you a day rate and stuff, or whether you're just doing kind of work on a commercial over the weekend or, you know, a, an indie feature shoot or something like that. If you, you know, you spend that time networking and you know people who are working on shoots and in production, these opportunities will come up often at the last minute. They're like, hey, we had someone drop out when need a PA to come and just hang out for a day. And we've had a, an, another episode on PA work. So, you, you know, you should know what's involved in that. It is mostly just kind of menial labor, carrying stuff around, uh, you know, doing as you're told. It's not difficult work, but it gets you on a set. It gets you seeing how the whole process unfolds and it gets you meeting more people and it pays a decent rate if you can put in those hours. Yeah. On the flip side, there's also the the desk version of that, which is there's freelancing as, a, as an assistant, as a day player at an agency or a business. And usually they have actual agencies. I think one is called the Friedman Agency mm-hmm. that will find you a job for one day. Unrelated to my the, name. Do you run that one, Alex? Yeah. Is that what you're speaking <laughs> No, there are a couple of other as well. Friedman is IE in this version. And my name is E. So quite yeah, there's, there's one called Apple One, I think. So a lot of these like temp agencies have really good relationships with, say, the big four agencies in terms of like CAA and etc. Or companies like ABC Disney, and you can get in and fill in on someone's desk, and that can be a really great way to get you into a longer term job. Or if you're a writer, who knows? Like you might meet someone that down the line might want to take you in for a general meeting or something because they they're familiar with you. So you never know how that could help. All right, now let's move on to other jobs that are not industry related. Well, I think like one of the first jobs that's always on people's minds these days is driving for Uber or Lyft or Postmates, anything like that. If you have a new enough car and you're eligible to do that, then it can be a really great, flexible job that makes you a good amount of money. You know, and you can set your own hours, you can go out and drive whenever you want. It really is a nice little thing to just be able to slip in every now and then. For sure. Although you need to look out for those pay and and insurance and all these different things that you may not assume are going to be part of your cost, but will end up maybe sinking you down the line. I know if, if, do you have to pay for gas if you're a Lyft or an Uber driver? 
I actually don't know. I have reimbursed. My, yeah. my car is terrible, so I never been able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, I mean, these are these are issues and factors that you got to keep in mind when you want to enter those small jobs. And it's all part of this thing called the gig economy, which if you don't know, it's this new fancy term describing our economy, which is just this idea that most of the jobs are actually not permanent jobs, but instead are short-term contracts or freelance jobs. So that's because there's so many apps now that offer you, oh, TaskRabbit is going to, you can pay for X dollars someone to do a specific thing or an Uber, right? Like an Uber is basically, you're going to do a short-term contract of, I'm going to pay you $10 for you to drive me to this other part of town. And so these are just like the small gigs. And so on, on some level, it's a good thing because that puts the schedule back in people's hands. They can control their own hours and so forth. But on the flip side, there's definitely this idea that the the, the, the people that are really making the real money here are not going to be the, the short-term employees, but obviously the, the bosses. Absolutely. And there is a certain, obviously, an instability with these kind of jobs. The fact that you're a 1099 means that you're not getting health care. You're not getting you know unemployment insurance or anything like that. So it is really just as it comes. So it's maybe not the best long-term solution to try and balance a million of these things at once because you can't rely on them. So like Alex said, there are these these apps and websites like TaskRabbit. I think people probably still even do it on Craigslist, just posting right. things like that. But TaskRabbit is a little bit more vetted and more official. I mean, TaskRabbit usually is more uh, odd gigs and, and, and small things like, oh, I need the TV installed or I need the, the sink, whatever, unplugged. It's, it's things that you may be calling a specialist to do, but nine times out of 10, you just want someone who knows that specific scale to be there at the right place at the right time. Yeah, change your tire. Who knows? Like Exactly. Although I would say, I mean, use AAA for that that'd probably be easier <laughs> yeah i mean it's all these weird odd jobs that you may be getting either i mean as nick brought up craigslist i think it's still an interesting place interesting place and it's a good place interesting place to get those jobs like being a dog walker or babysitting or house sitting or all these different things although to be fair a lot of those jobs are still word of mouth to this day yeah absolutely you want someone that you trust coming in to look after your child or your house so it does help to kind of know people and get those referrals in this industry as well it can be a really great gig like you could be house sitting for like a showrunner or a high level rider because they have to go out of town for a holiday or something and so that's a great way to kind of ingratiate yourselves with those people and you're going to be staying in an awesome house and you might not have to pay rent for a month or something so Absolutely. And I think there's also a website called care.com that offers senior care or child care and so forth. And, and that's another site hustle anyway, where side job is to be paid to take care of people that may need that help. There's also like tutoring. So I don't think you actually have to have any sort of like official registration as a tutor. You don't need like a teacher's license. It, it is literally just you would be helping perhaps high school students or college students study up for their things, especially if you have like graduated from that college recently. I'm sure there are a bunch of opportunities to come back and be able to tutor people in those courses that you've taken. Or, you know, if you have a bunch of professional experience in film and TV, then of course someone would love to be tutored in screenwriting or in something like that from someone who actually has the experience. Yeah, you can even think outside the box. I know a lot of changes students are moving to the U.S. and there was a new startup company that just launched about tutoring or rather translating SAT tests and guides in Mandarin so that the Chinese students could learn how to pass an SAT because they want to study in an American college. And so that was this gap in the market of, oh, how do we tutor these people who are not necessarily familiar with the SAT system? And so that's an interesting way of going mm -hmm. about it and making more than a side income in this case. Yeah. And I mean, language tutoring is really common too. Either if you have like a second language, you can teach someone, or even just if you can teach someone whose like, second language is English, how to speak better. Like often it's just conversation practice and working through stuff like that. You don't need to be an expert in linguistics or anything to be able to help someone learn better English. 
I mean, I've been teaching Nick all this time <laughs> how to speak English, and uh, it's working out quite well. Also, we did want to bring up this this thing called princess. I don't know if it's the right term. It's basically you, made the term you go princessing. It's uh, you pretend to be a princess. Actually, that is true. You do pretend to be a princess at parties. Yeah, I mean, there are a bunch of things like that, like dressing up as kind of like children's characters, princesses, clowns, like mag magician entertainment, like that kind of stuff, especially for people who perhaps are actors and whatever, and they're used to that performance side of things, you can absolutely go and get hired to, you know, be Han Solo for a day at like a little boy's birthday party or that kind of thing. So there are opportunities in that way as well. Now, on top of those uh, odd jobs, there are a lot of opportunities for freelancing and freelance work. One of the ways you can make a little bit of sign income online is through a gig called the Ads Quality Rater, which is just a fancy way of saying you're going to be looking at a bunch of ads and making sure they're worth Google's time or not. And Google is one of the clients. It could be Bing. Yes, Bing exists. <laughs> uh, there are other uh, outlets. But basically, you're going to be paid 10 to $15 an hour, and you'll be looking and proofreading some of the, the ads and making sure they're correct or relevant to the search term. And that improves the algorithm and the search engine. And that's really through third-party companies. Uh, I don't really have any off the top of my head. You can just Google some of them. But it's an interesting way of, of making a little bit of supplemental income. Yeah, I mean, I've done stuff before back in Australia, like taking paid survey, like focus groups, sitting around and talking like they show you, I think I was shown an ad one time and been like, what did you guys think about this? Tell us about how it related to you, all that kind of thing. So there are... Well, I mean, so the, these would be, these are like surveys and so forth. And these would be like lower paying outlets. Like the Ads Quality Rater is like almost like a full-time gig. I think you do get a W-2, you do get those full-on employment benefits because it's an hourly oh, gig. interesting well there you go yeah it's like 15 i want to say it's 15 dollars an hour now yeah uh, hopefully more but so yeah in much the same way as you can do odd jobs for task rabbit you can actually promote and and do more sort of skilled jobs for freelancing websites like upwork i don't know if all of these still exist but like odesk elance and that kind of thing you can put yourself up as say freelance writer and you can say that you can do copywriting work you can say that you do proofreading transcribing yeah transcribing all that kind of stuff so, you know, just those basic skills that come along with being someone who has been focusing on writing and the English language and stuff, their profession, they can be broadly relatable to other tasks that you might not think about, like writing an instruction manual for a company or something like that. So that's an interesting uh, side job, I gotta say. Although, again, you got to keep in mind those hours, like how long is it going to take you to transcribe this specific piece of entertainment or audio clip versus the time you're going to be paid for? really exactly and you know you might think oh writing that sounds fun that's not going to be like work but then when you're kind of like two hours deep into this like scientific instruction manual then you <laughs> might you might change your mind and then write a sci-fi epic instead <laughs> uh, i have a number of friends as well who kind of get paid to do freelance writing for online publications and magazines you know things like recapping tv episodes writing pop culture articles about certain things particularly you know, in the entertainment industry there are a number of websites that you can find opportunities to actually just be a freelance writer for short articles either online or i guess there are still some that are in like physical publication as well right i think it's like what 10 30 dollars an article um, yeah it's I think not a great ballpark. deal but um, i mean it, it is if you can if you can uh, crank them in a in a decent amount of time i think it's worth it's worth pursuing and it is great to say that you are a published writer and that you've already have you know your work online and out there and speaking of, there's a, another way of going about it, which is self-publishing content on Amazon Kindle and so forth. And I've actually self-published a few things. Uh, specifically, a few years ago, I self-published. I mean, you, legitimately, you can actually self-publish erotica. That's a really niche market that works really well, Nick. Yeah, you, like you like would Chuck know. Tingle. 
Chuck Tingle. What? Yeah, you got to look that guy's stuff is up. Is this is this your pen name? Uh, no, but I'm gonna read you some of the the titles of Chuck Tingle's self-published erotica. This one here, we got Donald Trump pounded in the butt by the handsome Russian T-Rex who also peed on his butt and then blackmailed him with the videos of his butt getting peed on. Wait, are you just reading Washington Post? <laughs> Basically. He writes very topical stuff, so open wide for the handsome saber-toothed dentist who was also a ghost. <laughs> I mean, truly uh, Pulitzer winning material right there. Yeah, but if you can find your niche audience and write some fun content. you know, Right, I mean, that, that's one way, but the one before the erotica was actually bringing an actual example that, okay. I've, that I've lived through, which is that a few years ago, I wrote in 72 hours, five cookbooks. This is true. And I ended up self-publishing them on Kindle, and they were obviously French-related Food uh, cookbooks, uh, as Nick... Uh, An entire cookbook well, for baguettes. Sure, why not? Uh, but no, there were, you know, it was like appetizers, dessert, and so forth. And I published them under a pen name, Claire Rose, uh, which is the uh, first name of my mother. Sounds like a Doctor Who companion. Doctor, Yeah, Claire Rose. But anyway, long story short, uh, this was a few years ago, and... It, it took me 72 hours, which is an insane... I mean, I randomly do insane things like that where I'll just like lock up my bedroom door and then just work for 72 hours straight and bang out five cookbooks, which is what I did then, and then self-published. And it does, still to this day, I mean, it's pocket change, obviously, but at the time it was more more money and than it is now. But nonetheless, it's still one way of getting supplemental income. If you want to self-publish your own content and find an audience, obviously you got to market it. That's another question. But if you can find that niche and find that audience, I think it's it's one way of making money. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as we mentioned earlier, there are your traditional kind of second jobs. So you're a barista at Starbucks, you're working at Hooters, um, working in a cafe somewhere, any of those kind of like traditional side hustle jobs. As we said, you don't really have to devote any of your creative energies to it. So you can just kind of focus on doing the job and then coming home and being excited to actually express yourself again, especially in service related industries, you can actually make a decent amount of money off of tipping. So it's not a bad idea. And you, it's more or less flexible depending on that job also. Mm-hmm. Now, another way of uh, making some uh, side money is to simply monetize the skills you may have and find an audience that way. So this is more on the entrepreneurial side of things. But you know, if you think about the skills that you have, you can still find a way to monetize them. So an example would be someone that is really good at knitting or woodworking. You can actually monetize that and, and find a way of selling your content either or your artwork through Etsy. That one That is one way. Or you can actually ask people if they need such thing and advertise your services that way. Yeah, I mean, my sister-in-law is like a trained seamstress and she does sort of costuming for plays and theater and circus and things like that. But she also started a side business based off of one of her hobbies, which are these kind of like bowl-jointed dolls. They're very popular, especially in kind of, of Asia. They're very realistic, you know, lifelike kind of dolls. But she makes clothing for the dolls. And there's a huge community of people online who are really into that. And they will pay good money to to dress up these dolls in custom clothing and things like that. So you never know what you can kind of find. Like, look at your hobbies, look at your skills and things that are appealing to you and that you have skill in and how you can use that to help other people in a valuable way. For sure. And don't be afraid to let people know those skills that you have. And I think that's one way you can get jobs is by reminding people, oh, I, I do this, oh, I do that. And then when their friends mention that they need someone that can do this or that then they'll be recommending you obviously yeah don't hide it away otherwise you're losing the possibility of that word of mouth work right and another way of of doing things yourself and making money that way is by flipping you can 
buy things that are undervalued and sell them at a higher price. So for example, one thing I occasionally do is at Comic-Con, I'll be buying figurines or things for myself, but if I get a second one, potentially I could sell it on eBay. And granted, I would need to know that this is a figurine or a print or an item that will be high in demand, but usually it's if you know the market, if you know the what people are into, then it's easier to figure out, especially if you know the the makers and, and what's popular. Like obviously Mondo print are nine times out of 10 going to be out of print. So that's one way of making money. But the same can be said about collectibles or thrift stores. If you go to a thrift store, if you go find that small thing that doesn't cost much money, but is valued 10 times the amount that you're buying it for, then obviously you'll be making money that way. Yeah, especially if you can do some kind of basic work on it, like you go find some antique furniture somewhere, pick it up really cheap, do some restoration, then sell it off again, you can make a decent profit. For sure, and that works for both Craigslist and eBay. Yes, eBay still exists. Yeah. So a couple of other ways that you might be able to make money. Now, I don't necessarily recommend this, but I do know uh, some friends who will gamble to make an income. So if they're they're very good at poker or blackjack and that kind of thing, they can go into a casino with a set amount of money, they can play for a certain amount of time and eventually, you know, the odds are such that they will come away with it with a profit because like for example with blackjack there's a thing called basic strategy where if you follow those rules your percentages are are pretty good at something like you know at least 50% or 51 yeah in years i don't think the odds would be 50% like but 49 years, point yeah. something percent exactly so, you know if you play smart and then you can actually walk away with some money there same kind of thing with poker if you learn about pot odds and if you learn about being able to calculate all that stuff in your head you can get a big advantage on, on other people and walk away with with some more money and that's very different from car counting like for the the blackjack example that Nick just gave you can Actually, these are the cards that casinos sell, that any boutique sells, and you can actually bring it to the table that's not only legal, but usually recommended by the casino itself, because they do want to see people play and on some level break even. Now, speaking of gambling, there's also fantasy football. Uh, they can uh, make money, and, and that is also gambling, despite what some companies may or may not want to admit. So that's one way of making some sweet cash if you know the players. And I know nothing. I just I just watched the league. That's all I know about fantasy football is I love the <laughs> league and that's enough knowledge for me. So going back to that thing about filling out surveys and focus groups and that kind of thing, there are actually a number of like online methods for filling out surveys that you'll get paid for, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one company is called Swagbucks. That's, I think you get paid roughly, I mean, you can make like, you know, this is $30, $50 a month. So this is pocket change, but it will still pay your phone bill or your TV bill sometimes. So it's worth pursuing. And those are usually outlets where you'll be almost passively either answering surveys if you do a specific search on Bing or other outlets or actively on your phone. Another survey app is the Google survey. I think it's called Google Rewards Now app. If you have an Android phone, that's a great way of making $5, 10 a month easily by answering a couple of questions. Sometimes they're a bit creepy. They randomly ask you oh have you recently been to this place and then they just list a bunch of places and a couple of them are literally things you just did like an hour ago like oh Oh, have you just been to uh, ralph's this morning and shop for some uh some chocolate wait how how does google (laughs) know this i guess because i have an android phone in my pocket that tracks everything i do Um, yeah that is a little bit weird but you know like alex says you might be picking up ten dollars here five dollars there thirty dollars here you know you're not going to make an income off that by yourself but if you do enough of these things or if you add it together with your your day job then maybe it is enough just to kind of get you by exactly and another one of those tools is the amazon turk uh, t-u-r-k not twerk uh or turking or twerking or not the guy Um, from scrubs yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> not the guy from Scrubs. Uh, I'm at JD. I'm at JD in this scenario. Amazon uh, JD and Amazon Turk. Um, anyway, but yeah, Amazon, Amazon, <laughs> Amazon Turk uh, are basically micro tasks that are literally worth cents, not dollars, but cents. And so it's, you know, literally make a search or these weird things like answer one question in a survey. And by themselves, these tasks are almost worthless, but cumulatively over time, they do amount to a good chunk of change. Now, the important thing to keep in mind with these Amazon Turk, Turking, whatever you want to call it, is that you need to look for the, the value of the, the tasks that are worth their time. So if even if it's down to 30 seconds, you got to make sure that you basically pay the equivalent of minimum wage or above to make it worth your time. And as time goes on, I think Turk is becoming even more and more popular. So it's even harder to find those micro tasks. So be wary of that. But that's just one way of making a side income. And a classic one that people might think of is donating their blood or plasma and getting paid for that. I don't think it's a ton of money. And also keep in mind how long these processes sometimes take. Donating plasma can be a lengthy couple of hour long process. So if you're getting $30 for that and it takes, I don't know, four hours or something to get it out of your body, then once again, is this really worth your time? Could you Absolutely. just be doing something else instead? Yeah, like doing some Amazon turking. <laughs> <laughs> you can be doing some Amazon turking while the blood is being drained out of your body. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, and another way you can make money is by becoming a really famous YouTuber. You just like casually do vlogs every day. <laughs> and uh, isn't that what Sam taught us in that web series episode? Is if oh, you yeah, make about one, how easy it is to be successful yeah. on YouTube. <laughs> if so you make one guys. video every single day, for five years, you may get a few subscribers <laughs> and one cent per, I think it's $1 per 1,000 views is roughly the, the rule of thumb, which yeah. is still like a lot of views that you need to get. Absolutely. That the whole YouTube thing is not a get rich quick scheme. Certainly not anymore, guys. So it requires significant expertise and effort and dedication. But there are things like, for example, Patreon. So if you, let's say you do have a YouTube channel, you have something else of, of service that you're offering to people, you can be signed up for this thing. And it's sort of like an ongoing Kickstarter. People will give you a donation of money either every month or every time you release like a video on YouTube or whatever it happens to be. And they can kind of like sponsor you to essentially to do this as a job. Right, but that's a bit like putting the what's the expression the cart before the horse. I feel like if you're gonna enter that realm, then you really need to figure out what's the skill, the tools that I'm gonna be imparting on those people. Because to have a successful Patreon, you obviously need a following and you need people that care about your content. Whether it's you know YouTube video essays like Every Frame of Painting mm-hmm. or Rap as a Podcast, all these different venues offer something for the audience. So I don't think that, I don't think any of them thought that, oh, I'm going to start this podcast empire and I'm going to make thousands and thousands of dollars a month. I think it was no, more no. about like a passion project that transformed into a business. I think that's what we've been saying is find the things that matter to you, find the skills that you can monetize and the outlets that you can prosper in to be successful both in your craft and still in those, in those side hustles. All right, Nick, what are some takeaways? Let's keep it short and sweet. I think number one, find a side job that's either related to what you want to do, so you're kind of learning and making contacts like script reading, or one that will be flexible enough to kind of free up your time and creative energies. Um, Never lose sight of your goal and why you're actually here. And number two, there are many, many ways of making supplemental income, and everyone has valuable skills that can be monetized. So find out which ones you have and lean into that. How about some uh, resources for the listeners? Well, we were talking earlier about side money and specifically small amounts of money that would be more passive in terms of ways of getting it. And so one subreddit that I really like is called beer money, like making enough money to buy a beer, r slash beer money. 
And on that subreddit, on a daily basis, people post ways of making a little bit of side money. And again, keep in mind, this is beer money, which means it's only going to be a handful of dollars a week or a handful of dollars a month. But over time, it accumulates and it allows you to pay some of those smaller bills and keep the load off. Absolutely. And I think for me, I mentioned earlier that if you are working in a job, let's say it's at an agency or management company, production company, network studio, if you're in a position where you can be out there looking for material and looking for new writers, then you may as well be compensated for your your time and efforts in doing that. So you can look to those places like Stage 32, Roadmap Writers, Virtual Pitch Fest, that are actually going to give you a little bit of money for your time to be finding new material and bringing it into your company and offering, you know, writers like yourself and like other people uh, the opportunity to be discovered. I think it's, uh, it's a good thing for everyone. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our episode for this week. Hopefully we gave you some valuable skills and advice on that. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 35. As always, you can leave us a review on iTunes at paperteam.co slash iTunes. All those reviews will help us get new listeners and cool people like you will be our friends. (laughs) (laughs) And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes, please send them to ask at paperteam.co. And next week, uh, we're going to be looking at themes and values. Let's, uh, Let's dive deep into the heart of what we're writing. Yeah, what are we even doing this for? (laughs) All right, we'll see you then. Bye.